0: Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.
1: The chilling new original docu series on Paramount Plus.
2: Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by recruiting expert Gabby Urutia, and we are here to talk about Miami's huge recruiting weekend, their biggest official visit weekend of the summer. Five five stars on campus for the top 10 players on campus this weekend. Tons of other big-time names to know. 14 players in all were in Coral Gables this weekend learning about what Miami has to offer them for their futures. Before we get started, want to highlight we have a 60% off annual subscription deal. Gabby does a great job covering this almost every single day. He has updates on the board in terms of where things are trending with these recruiting targets. So I would... Um, I would recommend everyone of this podcast taking advantage of this deal. 60% off. That's about 43 bucks for a year's worth of wall-to-wall coverage on the recruiting level. Good stuff. All right. Got that out of the way. Gabby, let's hop into it and let's just start with the new additions both to the recruiting class and to the team because over the weekend, Miami landed a commitment from a high school Linebacker that was visiting this weekend and Cameron Pruitt and also a transfer addition at linebacker and KJ Cloyd, who comes from Louisville. Let's start with Cameron Pruitt. Uh, let's go in chronological order who committed to Miami on Saturday. Uh, Cameron Pruitt comes from Theodore, Alabama. He's listed in the 24 seven sports database as a safety. Uh, would probably be classified as an in-the-box safety if you're viewing him as a safety. But he has that 6'3", 190-pound build. He's a long guy. I think he's got a frame to get to 220, uh, which is kind of what you want in the modern-day linebacker. I remember seeing him, Gabby, at uh, one of the early 7-on-7 tournaments of this calendar year. And he definitely caught my eye as a guy that you know gets your attention as an athletic looking guy to develop, uh, you hinted going into the weekend, Gabby, that Miami was going to press. They had two high school linebackers visiting this weekend. Miami was going to press them both to try and jump in the boat. And clearly Cameron Pruitt, uh, did pull that trigger. What do we need to know about this commitment?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a body type that Miami definitely likes. You mentioned it six foot three 190 pound range. Um, You know, I I think on Sunday really was able to find it like Sunday evening was able to finally kind of get an idea of what the body type really is. Uh, I think he measured in six foot three, probably 193, 194 pounds. So, yeah, you said that he's someone that, you know, you could eventually play at 220 pounds. I think that's the plan. You know, I I think that they want to get him up to that 220, 225 range before he ever even plays a snap. Uh, He's going to be an early enrollee type kid. uh, So he will be on campus in December. Uh, you know again Miami really likes what they have in him they think that you know he's just a really athletic type of guy that he's going to put on he's definitely going to put on good weight from what I understand his dad played in the NFL uh, for a few years I can't remember his dad's name right now but I heard his dad played in the NFL so I think that's promising bloodlines Um, you know I I think that he's someone that they're again really excited to kind of just kind of get and mold Uh, you know I think they want to kind of get body types that they can build up and not necessarily have to just try to either maintain or, you know, just kind of float around a certain area. So I think they like that they can kind of build these types of guys up and kind of make them what they want them to be. And, uh, you know, I think that they're super excited about what they got in Cameron Pruitt.
2: Yeah, he is graded as a four star prospect by 24 7 Sports. The industry generated composite rank has him as a high three star. Uh, he does claim an Alabama offer. You know, is he high up on Alabama's board? That I don't know, but he did receive an offer from Alabama, which is certainly encouraging in terms of the evaluation job Miami did. Uh, And Gabby, yeah, I like the potential of Cameron Pruitt. I think, you know, modern era, you want these linebackers that can hold their own in space. And with his safety background, he definitely checks that box. Uh, To me, the only question with those type of guys is how physical are they? And you pop on the tape and Cameron Pruitt does play with some physicality, you know, not trying to talk down on him, but just from a Miami comparison, uh, you know, I think about Gilbert Frierson, who, you know, was viewed as a similar type of guy in terms of, okay, he's probably a safety or a DB right now, but we think we can grow him into being a linebacker. My concern with, Gilbert going back to high school was his lack of physicality. And I feel like that was an issue that followed him throughout his college career. So, uh, I think it is encouraging that number one camp Pruitt is an athletic linebacker. Number two, he embraces the physical side of football, which is an important, it's a trait. If we're being honest, uh, on the defensive side, just like your size, your speed, uh, your agility, your wingspan, all that stuff, tackling and physicality is absolutely a trait uh for those defensive players. And at the high school level, at least, Cameron Pruitt shows those traits on tape. Uh, let's transition now to the transfer portal where Miami landed a grad transfer in KJ Cloyd. Comes from Louisville, veteran guy, looks the part 6'2, 230. Uh, was a backup for the most part during his Louisville career, but I think it's worth noting, Gabby, that Louisville had some really good linebackers. Yeah, uh, and of course, Miami's linebacker coach now is Derek Nicholson, who uh, gets credit for developing and uh, landing some of those guys. So, um, Miami bring Miami's clearly familiar with KJ Cloyd they felt like he could be a guy that would help the room. Tell us what we need to know about this acquisition.
0: Yeah. I mean, it just sounds to me like he did play behind some, you know, guys that are playing on Sundays. I can't rattle off all the names off, you know, just, I don't have them in front of me right now, but, um, I guess.
2: Really incur- yeah. yeah. That's one of them. Monty Montgomery.
0: Yeah. I think that's another, I think there's another one that starts with like a C or something that plays for gosh, I can't remember maybe the Falcons or something like that um but you know i mean i think they're super impressed by you know what he kind of brings physically and i, I think it's important to kind of go through what miami has as upperclassmen and i think outside of francisco mawagoa and chase smith who's coming off you know a major knee surgery uh you know you have a lot of kind of like you know physically limited uh kind of guys like a you know corey flag who is a smart instinctual player but again physically limited at you know five nine five ten keontra smith 5'10, Ryan Ragoni, you know, 5'9. Uh, so you know, I think adding an upperclassman, a fifth-year guy, someone who's gonna probably start for Louisville, uh, started for them in the spring game, uh, was sitting atop the depth chart at the mic spot. Um, you know, I, I, he's someone that's probably gonna play well here at Miami. Uh, from what I understand, he's uh, you know, a four, four, like legit four, four speed, uh, six foot two, two hundred and thirty pounds uh, extremely physical, uh, you know, described to me as kind of a, I mean, really as a physical specimen is, are the words like verbatim that I was kind of given. Um, and I I mean, I think he's someone that Miami's bringing in to to play. I think they think that he's a kid that took a little bit longer to develop, uh, you know, went the Juco route coming out of high school. Uh, that's when Louisville snatched him up. And, uh, again, I think they think he's a really promising talent. I think he's there. He's someone that they're excited about. I don't think that this is a you know, a depth piece. And just because we don't have a lot of information on him, but I, I mean, all the, the feedback I'm kind of getting is that they're extremely excited about this. It sounds like other schools wanted this kid. I don't think that this was someone that was just kind of flying under the radar, uh, you know, from other schools. I think there were other SEC programs that wanted to try to get their hands on him. Miami really won a recruitment uh, that others, that uh, you know, other programs were involved in. And uh, again, I think they think that he's someone that's going to really help them. And, you know, again, he's someone that, was described to me as an excellent scheme fit uh, for what they want to do. And I I really think Miami brought this kid in here to play, to compete for a starting job. I don't think he's going to be the fourth or fifth linebacker off the bench. I think they think that this kid's going to be ready to go. But, of course, he has to get down here, uh, which I believe he's supposed to enroll at some point here today or get down to Miami at some point here today on Monday and kind of get rolling with these guys. And, um, you know, I, again, just all the, the feedback that I kind of got uh, has me pretty encouraged about the pickup. And again, I know there's not a lot of information and the stats don't really pop, but it seems like some of the intangibles, some of the traits that, you know, you're talking about Cameron Pruitt a little bit, David, I think some of the traits are are really encouraging. And I think, uh, you know, Miami's really excited to have grabbed him. Yeah, he's only played
2: 326 defensive snaps at the college level. Again, he was primarily a rotational guy um, the last two seasons for Louisville. But I would assume, Gabby, that he was brought in here to start at weak side linebacker next to Francisco Maui Noah. Would you agree with that? Like essentially saying they're probably going to rotate Wesley in, Wesley Besant in. But I would assume you don't go out and get a KJ Cloyd if you're not going to start him.
0: Yeah, I think they, again, I think they feel like he's a starter level talent all the way, all the way. I feel like, I think they believe he's a starter level talent. So yeah, he's going to compete with Wesley Bassett, who's still putting on weight. I'm told he's over, you know, 220 pounds now, which is good, but, you know, still probably a, a little bit ways of away of where you maybe want him to be. Um, so, you know, I think that, again, yeah, I mean, I, I think KJ Floyd's going to come in here and, and probably win a starting job. At least that's, so sort of the expectation, or at least compete with Wesley Besaint, uh for that starting week side linebacker spot. Yeah, and then it's up to Wesley
2: to either raise his game to another level and clearly beat out this guy they brought yeah. in to compete with you, or, you know, it's just going to be another year. Um, so uh, ball's in Wesley's court. The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Star is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Star knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients
0: get the best possible value when they sell or buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text Star directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to Star, he will donate $250 to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience
2: and help our Canes, call or text Star today at 561-573-4661. Attention business owners, I'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now. Employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W-2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices, ASAP.
0: The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC. Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get paid.
2: All you have to do is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today, erclawyers.com. Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later. And the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way.
0: Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of
2: things. Text 305. 393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with pride financial and let's take pride in our finances all right let's get into some of the official visitors outside of cam pruitt who committed and we've already talked about and let's just go in order of 24 7 sports composite rankings so that leads off with edge rusher Colin Simmons, out of Duncanville, Texas, turbocharged six three two twenty five, ranks as the number four overall player in the country. Gabby, what would you
0: learn about him over the weekend? I think this is my bad. I think this is one of the recruits that Miami uh, really moved the needle with. Uh, you know, all the feedback that I've kind of gotten on Colin Simmons since uh, the since the visit wrapped up was that you know it re- it went really really well. Uh, Miami really helped themselves in this recruitment. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily gonna be the first one to jump on board, but I think if Miami were to start building out this defensive line class and some other big time dude started kind of jumping jumping on the boat, I think Colin Simmons would be like, all right, like I kind of feel comfortable, uh, you know going forward and you know, kind of making that move. And again, I'm not saying he's committing to Miami tomorrow. I'm not throwing in a crystal ball or anything like that. But I do think that my, I mean, Miami laid out a vision for him, an individual, you know, like, you know, year by year plan for him. Uh, they have, they, they kind of just laid it all out there. And I think Jason Taylor, his resume, everything that he's kind of been able to do, um, I think resonated with the mom. It resonated with the kid. And uh, I do think that that's one situation that Miami's, uh, you know, helped themselves, tr- helped, helped themselves tremendously with, you know, over this weekend.
2: Yeah. And this would be huge if, if Miami is able to reel him in, you know, I do think Miami needs to land big, powerful, and explosive body types on the defensive line to create that knockback at the line of scrimmage. But I also think if you look back to last year, you know, getting pressures on the quarterback wasn't an issue for the defensive line. But to me, they didn't really finish uh, as at the level that you would like to see in terms of turning pressures into sacks. And that's where a guy like Colin Simmons, who, you know, 6'3", 230, probably will get up to 240, 245, at the college level. He brings that speed element and that finish element to the defensive line. So that'll definitely be an interesting one to follow here. Um, Ellis Robinson, the fourth, number five overall player in the country, the cornerback at an IMG Academy currently committed to Georgia. Gabby,
0: what's the latest there? Yeah. You know, I I still feel like it's very much of a like kind of chop wood type of mentality with Ellis Robinson. You know he he's been around the program plenty. He's kind of seen everything that there is to see. I think he feels great about the direction of the program. I think he feels you know I think he has a lot of respect for the people in the building for everything that Miami has going on. But at the you know end of the day, he's committed to Georgia. Um, you know I, I I would expect that that's where he signs. I think Miami from in order for Miami to give themselves a shot to flip him, I think they're gonna have they're gonna have to really you know show this fall that they're a program that's turning the corner. And what does that even look like? I'm not even saying if Miami even goes and wins 10 games, that that's even going to be enough to flip an Ellis Robinson or anything like that. But I just think that the only way that Miami is going to kind of be able to kind of pull him away uh, from the back-to-back national champs is by getting it done in the fall. And so uh, I think that's where Miami's at. I think if anyone, again, I've, we, I think we've talked about this multiple times. If anyone in the country is going to flip my, uh, Ellis Robinson, it's probably going to be Miami. Um, but that's not a guarantee. That's definitely not a layup. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, regardless of the circumstances ended up following through with that Georgia commitment, but they're yeah. giving Miami as good of a look as, as you could possibly give them. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of balls in Miami's court now to do what they have to do and take care of business on the field.
2: Yeah. To me, it's like a pay dividend type of recruitment where, okay, we're good, We're putting our time in this summer. We'll we'll see how things look in November. If Miami's put together a decent season in November, and can sell the trajectory of the program to Ellis Robinson, then this summer recruiting has been worth it. Uh, One of Ellis Robinson's teammates, David Stone, five-star defensive lineman out of IMG Academy, number six overall player in the country. Gabby, he's a guy that we've talked about plenty here in this 2024 class. I believe it's what his third or fourth visit here this calendar year uh, would be a huge get for Miami. The vibes are that they're battling Oklahoma. He's from the state of Oklahoma originally. Uh, Did Miami continue to make a strong impression on Mr. Stone and his family?
0: Yeah, I think they absolutely did. I mean, I think the visit, you know, again, I I think very similarly to Ellis Robinson, like there's not much about Miami that David Stone hasn't seen. I think he, you know, the vision that they kind of laid out this weekend with all those big defensive linemen, Uh, you know, I think it was enticing to a lot of them. I'm sure it was David Stone, too. I haven't talked to him, but I mean, the feedback I got really is just, you know, Miami's in there. Uh, They don't feel like he's, you know, about to commit or shut down his recruitment. Um, You know, I do think he likes a lot of these schools, you know, he and I I think they kind of get the sense to that, you know, he's he may have a hard time telling some schools no, and that's why this recruitment may go kind of long, because it's just going to be tough for him to kind of finally narrow down and decide, Hey, this is where I'm going to go because I do legitimately think he's built great relationships with coaches and people around multiple programs. And, but you know, Miami feels like they're, they're in that. And, uh, you know, it's almost like you you almost kind of want to be like the last person that David Stone sees. So I think if, you know, they're, they're playing the long game with David Stone, you almost want to try to figure something out to get him back down unofficially in some capacity, uh, maybe in December, maybe closer to, to that national signing day where you can kind of be like, you know, you can kind of have that one last push or get him back down in the fall. Uh, You know, just again, unofficially, you already burned your official visit. Uh Brig, get him to a game. You kind of just want to keep getting him back as much as you can. And then, you know, when that's when that decision time rolls around or when it's time for pen to meet paper, you want your program to be kind of fresh in his head. So I think that's kind of like the long term plan with David Stone. It's just you know, continue to kind of be fresh in his head, continue to try to get him around as much as you can so that, you know, when it's time for him to make a decision, almost like you're, it's almost like you're the program, you know, he remembers most or he's kind of the most familiar with or whatever the case is. So um, again, I think it's still kind of long game with David stone. Do you feel like
2: he's not going to make a decision in July?
0: I think even if he does, like i i again i i just get the sense that even if he does it's maybe one of those things where it's even not over and i think even if he could have committed to miami it would almost be like a similar thing like that too where it's just like man you just don't feel like super 100% good about everything until you know until he signs and i i I think that's why miami kind of has even has that mentality where hey let's say he makes an early july commitment where it's just kind of like you know, it's going to be hard for him to kind of make those rounds and tell, call, call all these coaches and be like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not coming here. So um, that's just a sense that I kind of get. Um, yeah. But I, I think that Miami feels like they're in a really good spot there. And, you know, Oklahoma, of course, is a team that everyone thinks he's going to go to. I think he has legitimate interest in Oregon, um, you know, some of these other schools as well, even Florida, uh, you know, is a school that I think he likes a lot. So um, I, I I just think that really the sense around that recruitment is just like, it's going to be tough for him to kind of crack down and make that final decision. Five-star defensive lineman, Dylan Stewart,
2: the number 10 overall player in the country. He is out of friendship collegiate Academy in Washington, DC. He goes six-five-two thirty-five 235 edge rusher. Gabby, what's the vibes there?
0: Yeah, I think Miami's in a really good spot there. Uh, you know, ta- even talking with, uh, you know, director recruiting here at 24 seven sports, Steve Wolfong, like, you know, Miami, Georgia, could be a couple schools that are really near the top of the list. I know South Carolina is in there. Uh, I know definitely some others are as well. Tennessee, uh, but I think Miami has as good of a shot as anyone in this recruitment. Uh, you know, Miami's done a great job just getting him back down. He's a man of few words. He he does it. He definitely doesn't do interviews, at least with me or with us or whatever the case is. But I, I do get the feeling that you know, just kind of again just checking in that Miami feels like they're in a really, really, really good spot there, like near the very, very top of his of, you know, his list, his group of schools. So I think that's really encouraging coming out of his visit. Uh, You know, he's another, he's just a big freakish looking dude. And, uh, you know, that's just the way that you kind of want it to look, Uh, you know? So I I think Miami left the weekend kind of encouraged about where they currently stand uh, with Dylan Stewart. So uh, hopefully he makes one of these early July commitments. And, you know, I I wouldn't be shocked if it was to Miami. Aiden Breeland, who
2: is the number 33 overall player in the country. So just outside the composite five star, but for 24 7 sports, he is, a, I believe, a top 10 player in the country uh, yeah. at a Matter Day High School, Matter Day Academy in uh, Southern Cal. He goes 6'5, 290, uh, interior guy, probably for the most part, but he is athletic to get it done in some situations on the edge. Gabby, what is the feeling on Mr. Breland?
0: Yeah, I think this is one specifically that Miami feels really good about. Uh, you know, just I think they've done a really good job kind of recruiting him, you know, long term here, got him down for the first time that first spring visit, got him back down for the spring game, you know, mid-April. I, I think this weekend, he, you know, he was down with his family and I think uh, it went a long way towards kind of cementing the Hurricanes as as a prime prime contender. And I think they've always been one of those schools that's been near the top, like, you know, at the top of the list for him. And I think this weekend really helped the Hurricanes just, you know, just really establish themselves. as like, hey, this is really a school that I could see myself at. And I think Miami did a really good job this weekend of, you know, doing all the things that they needed to do with Aiden Breland and his family. And I think that was maybe one of the more successful uh, visits of the weekend, which is really encouraging. Because, like you said, David, I mean, for us here at Twenty Four Seven Sports, he's the number two defensive lineman in the country, uh, and I believe like the number six overall player. So, uh, Aiden Breland is a total stud. Uh, definitely, you know, looks all looks the part, physically checks off all those boxes, and uh, you know, if my is he if he was someone that Miami was able to land, which again I think is in that realm of possibility, uh, that would be a really big deal. Let's go to let's stay on
2: the D line and discuss L.J. McRae, who. I think internally, Miami likes as much as the oh, yeah. five-star defensive lineman. He is a 6'6", 260 defensive lineman that probably projects as an interior guy long-term. Hails at a Daytona Beach Mainland High School. Uh, number 136 overall player in the country, according to the composite. What t- What type of impression did Miami make here?
0: Yeah, I think I think L.J. McCrae loves Miami uh, I think Miami has done a really good job in this recruitment uh you know I think he's taken his time with it it doesn't sound like he's in any rush to make a commitment he saw Florida the first weekend Miami the second I think he's at Auburn now for like a midweek official um and then he's gonna go see Georgia I think he has a Florida State plan sometime uh during the season so I think that that's kind of I think that that's pretty uh you know I think that's telling of his timeline he told me, on Sunday that again, he was, he was going to kind of go through the process. And again, after checking in, I think Miami gets a similar, a, a similar sense of um a, a similar sense of just what that, that really is his plan. That's, that's kind of like the way that they're kind of going about the process. So, um, you know, I think, again, this is what Miami's might have to play the long game on, uh, but I think they're willing to do it, David. Cause like you said, I think internally uh, LJ McCray is one of those names that they definitely love. So,
2: I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to power rank your perception of, you know, best to worst. And again, worst is relative. Miami I think, feels relatively good about where they stand with all these guys. But if you were to rank one through five, best to worst, where they feel like they stand with these five defensive linemen, how would you rank them?
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, Okay. I'll go at, at the top. I'll probably go Aiden Breeland. Um, wow. number okay. two, number number 2, uh, I'll probably go Dylan Stewart. Okay. Uh, number 3 right now, I'd probably go Colin Simmons. Number okay. 4, I would go David Stone, and number 5 I'd probably go LJ McCrae. Okay. And I feel like for, I mean, and and look, that's again, I think what, what you said is just like worse is worse is relative. Like they feel very good about all these guys. And I think four and five are maybe even interchangeable. Like, I think they really feel like LJ McRae loves, loves Miami. Like, I think they feel like mm-hmm. the weekend went awesome. I think they feel like they're in a really good spot there, but I think it's more telling about how well, even the other visits went right. of just like how much they impressed those other guys where I think coming into the weekend, it probably would have been like David. Stone. I would have been like David stone one, uh, you know, right. like you know, I I think it's just more indicative of like this was a successful weekend. Like this, we were talking about how big of a weekend this was. Like, I I know it didn't result in a five-star defensive lineman commit, but I think this this was a long-term, very successful weekend for Miami on these on the along the defensive line. So I, I think that's how I'd probably stack it. But again, just because I put L.J. McCray at five or David Stone at four doesn't mean like sound the alarms. Miami isn't getting these guys. What's going on here? Right. Like you know, I think it's just. You know they, they feel good about all five of them, really. Right.
2: That's why I asked you, because that was an interesting ranking. Um, let's go to running back. Jarrett Gibson, number two running back in the country, according to the composite. Uh, number 35 overall player in the country. He comes from IMG Academy as well. He's thought to be a battle between Texas and Miami, with Texas as maybe the slight leader. What's the sense you get on where Miami stands for Jarrett Gibson now?
0: Yeah, I I think Miami's right there, right up there at the top of Jarrett Gibson. Um, You know, I still think Texas is kind of the leader, even talking to him. Like, I do feel like Texas is a school he really, really likes. Um, You know, I think Georgia's a school he really likes. He basically kind of grouped Miami, Texas, and Georgia and told me, like, you know, it's going to be a tough decision between those three. And, you know, I really do kind of get the sense that Texas is, might, is is going to be the spot that he ends up at. And if it's not Texas, I wouldn't be surprised if it was even a school, like, outside of that top three. Like, maybe even a Florida where it's, like, he went, home, like, you know, that's his hometown school. And I don't say that because I don't think Miami's in a great spot there. But I just think Miami also feels like they're in a really, really good spot with Kevin Riley, who's a, you know, kid out of Tuscaloosa um, who is coming, who's officially visiting this coming weekend, this next weekend. And they feel like, you know, he is like very close. Like, you know, he's someone that could potentially be, uh, you know, a weekend uh, type of commitment, not saying he is committing, but I think they feel like they're really close to potentially closing on that recruitment. So, and I do think if Kevin Riley is ready to go, uh, you know, in this particular situation, like they would not hesitate and take Kevin Riley. If Jared Gibson doesn't give them that assurance that like, Hey, I'm kind of in two. I think Jared Gibson's going to, I think his process could potentially go longer. Uh, but I, I, I think Miami, you know, Miami loves Jared Gibson. Uh, they also love Kevin Riley. And, uh, but, you know, I kind of get the sense that, you know, he's going to go to Texas and, uh, you know, that's just my kind of gut feeling. Okay. Braylon Staley, a uh, wide receiver out of Clemson's
2: backyard in Aiken, South Carolina. He has some Clemson crystal balls. He uh, visited Clemson the weekend before. Tripping to Miami. He goes six foot one seventy-five, the number one hundred and eighty-two overall player in the country. Gabby, we know how important it is for Miami to land a big time outside receiver in this class, uh, along with Chance Robinson. Uh I think Braylon Staley would check that box. What type of impression did Miami make?
0: Um, I think Miami made a I think sorry, I'm getting a phone call here. I think Miami made a really good impression there. Uh, you know, Miami's been battling Miami's been battling Clemson. I mean, that's a school that's an, that's like an in-state school. Uh, you know, that's a program that they're kind of worried about. Clemson took two wide receivers during their first official visit weekend. So Clemson might not be so much in the mix there. Uh, you know, I think Miami, I think the weekend, you know, I think it, they kind of knocked it out of the park with Braylon Staley. But, you know, I do think he's going to kind of go through the process. See Tennessee, see North Carolina. I think Tennessee could be a school to kind of watch her. That's just kind of like the sense that I got. Uh, I think he could be relatively close to making a decision like, you know, after these visits, just kind of sitting down and figuring it out between Miami, Tennessee and North Carolina. Um, I do think Miami helped themselves this weekend. I think they kind of sold the vision of the offense, uh, what they can do with him. Uh, You know, he threw the name Tank Dell at me and what Shannon Dawson did with him. And you know how impressive it is, you know of you know the, the, just the type of offense that Miami's going to run. So I, I do think Miami's, I, I think Miami's in position where they could potentially, you know, land a guy like Braylon Staley coming out of this weekend. So I'm encouraged about the way that that visit went, and I think uh, you know some around the program seem very, very high on him.
2: Elijah Lofton, uh, tight end out of Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, Nevada, four-star player according to the composite. 6'22 20. Uh seemed like the vibes coming out of his visit, Gabby, was that Miami made a big move.
0: Yeah, I mean, I put a crystal ball in. I meant to put I meant to do it yesterday, but I put a crystal ball in um, you know, today uh for Elijah Lofton. I I mean I expect Miami to pick up his commitment potentially sometime this week, uh, you know, at the earliest. Uh I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know, he was in he was kind of next on the boat or one of the guys that's next on the boat. Uh, I think Miami was really worried about Texas the whole time. Um, I'm not sure he's, if he's even going to follow through with that Texas official visit this week, uh, this coming weekend, which I think is, is huge. is just really, really big news. So I I really like where the hurricanes are at there. And, uh, I think it could be really good. I think really good news could be coming for coach, uh, Cody Woodle in his first season, uh, you know, on the field at Miami, that could be a nice, uh, first commitment for him. And, you know, I think there's a lot of Brevin Jordan comps just kind of where he's coming from, uh, you know, Bishop Foreman in Las Vegas. They both wear the number nine and then they call him baby Brevin over there. Uh, I think he's a little bit more juiced up in terms, like I think he's a little bit thicker. I think he's a little bit maybe more physical at the point of attack. He's probably not as, uh, Brevin Jordan's not like the biggest guy, but I mean, he's not probably, he's not as long as, as Brevin is, but I think he's a really good potential inline tight end who has the ability to make plays in the passing game as well. He's a 500 plus pound squatter, uh, 300 plus pound venture, 300 plus pound uh, power cleaner. So, I mean, this guy is just a ball of strength. And uh, I think Miami's really, really excited about what he could potentially give him. Defensive
2: tackle TJ Lindsey uh, comes out of IMG Academy. 6'3", 290, three-star guy. Uh, kind of a late addition to the official visitor list. Uh, what do we need to know there?
0: Yeah, uh, I I think Miami's a school that he's really giving a hard look at. Uh, Texas A&M leads on the crystal ball. I still, I I think that, I think Texas A&M could be a school that's tough to beat. But he's at IMG Academy now, and I think that, you know, anything, you know, once once he kind of gets there, I don't think he gets there until July. Uh, You know, if this recruitment kind of plays out, goes distance, uh, you know, or just goes a little bit longer, I think Miami might have a better chance. But I kind of get the feel, and I think some others do too that, uh, you know, Texas A&M might be a team that's going to be tough to beat long-term. We talked about Cam Pruitt, uh, but there was another linebacker that visited and
2: Keyshawn Flowers, three-star prospect from Archbishop Spaulding in Severn, Maryland. He goes 6-2, 215. What type of impression did Miami make?
0: Yeah, I, I think good. You know, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, really I've, I've gotten like not conflicting reports, but you know, just a little bit different sounding like where you know, he was kind of ready to come and others were just like, maybe he was a little bit hesitant. I think Miami kind of gave him the opportunity to say, Hey, this is where I want to be. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, I don't necessarily think he, he took that opportunity or leapt at that opportunity. And uh, you know, I do think that Miami right now, to me, it sounds like the focus is, is landing a guy like James Nesta who came that first official visit weekend. I think, uh, you know, they really want to get him on boat on the boat. And, uh, you know, Keishon Flowers is a guy that they really like as a potential Mike linebacker, Uh, you know, six foot two, 215 pounds. I think he's going to go check out Notre Dame and maybe a school like Maryland. And, you know, I I do think he's someone Miami really, really likes. But I think, uh, you know, coming out of the weekend, even still, it's about, you know, kind of getting James Nesta uh, locked in on the boat. And then, you know, maybe pivoting to a guy like Chris Cole, who's coming the final official visit weekend in June. And, uh, you know, again, that kind of all out push to try to get a guy like Darius Hayes who's committed to Florida, who's, I mean, I think sounds to me like Miami feels like he's the best linebacker in the country. So, uh, I know they love their themselves. Some of Darius Hayes. So I think it's about getting James Nesta, uh, try to work on Chris Cole and then see if you can flip Hayes down the line. All right. Ty Hilton
2: out of Oviedo high school in the state of Florida was the lone offensive lineman to visit this week. He goes six four two seventy three 270 three-star
0: guy. Um, what's the vibes there? Yeah, I think, I mean, Miami, I think they did a really good job there in that one. Uh, you know, I, I think that he's a developmental tackle that they really like. Uh, one person I talked to kind of feels like he's maybe a Florida State lean or at least they get the sense that he's kind of like a Florida State lean. Uh, but Miami definitely likes him. Uh, you know, he's someone that they've been recruiting for a long time. I think he's going to go see Florida this, this coming weekend. Uh, I think he's going to go maybe see Florida State sometime after that. Um, right now, I, I don't necessarily know where I feel about his kind of status with Miami. Um, I think these next couple visits will be pretty telling about where he's going. But, um, you know, just kind of, again, checking in with some people. Um, I, I do think the Seminoles maybe have a leg up this recruitment. Uh, so that's 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 one situation I'm kind of watching and seeing how maybe this rest of the summer uh, kind of plays out with a guy like Ty Hilton. And
2: then Miami had a big-time JUCO prospect uh, visiting this weekend, Sayon Laulay out of College of San Mateo Junior College uh, in the state of California. He goes 6'4, 185, 190, long, long, long corner. Intriguing guy to develop. Uh what is the sense there?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, there's really it seems like it's kind of like a four, maybe five team race between USC, Oregon, uh, Utah, Penn State, and Miami. Uh, he's going to go see U- USC and Oregon over the next couple of weeks. And then I think it's going to be kind of like decision time for him. Miami feels really, really good about where they're at there. I mean, you know, college of San Mateo, that's a school that they just got uh, Demetrius Freeni from, which is a junior college player who's immediately eligible. So he can enroll at the school, you know, now he might be there already. I honestly haven't checked yet, but um, you know, and I think, you know, the college of San Mateo, it's in Northern California. Just from what I've been able to gather, I think Mario Cristobal has a really good relationship with that school. It's a national – it's a powerhouse junior college program in Northern California. They just won a state championship or national whatever championship that – I know there's different JUCO leagues and they all do it different, uh, but they won their California Community College Championship. Uh, They won it big. They're always a good program. And from what I understand, Mario Cristobal, while he was at Oregon, developed really good relationships with – uh, you know, the staff over there at College of San Mateo, uh, Jamal Die, the secondary coach, has a college roommate or something along those lines, who's also on staff at College of San Mateo. I think that that was a big part of helping them get Demetrius Freeney. And I think those relationships uh, could also help Miami long term when it comes to Sion uh, Laule. So uh, I think they feel really good about where they're at in that recruitment. I think the sense I kind of got just kind of checking in with people, who were around uh, uh, Sion uh, Laule, was at Penn State, maybe the school that uh, they're watching closest right now. But I think uh, they feel that, you know, they could eventually potentially land him. Uh, but again, I think there's still ways to go. And I'm sure USC and Oregon will have plenty to say uh, for the number one junior college prospect in the country. All right, good stuff as
2: always. Gabby, if we're going to put a bow on this and just go big, big picture, sure. overall, how would you assess this big recruiting weekend for the program
0: i think it was a huge hit i mean i think it was a great success um it, it's hard to measure right because it's not like the commitments are just pouring in but i think that you know which we didn't I, I think, expect right i mean yeah i mean exactly we didn't we weren't expecting we weren't just saying like we didn't come into this weekend saying hey miami's gonna walk out like walk out of here with two five stars committed or you know four total commitments or anything like that it was about just having a really good weekend and, and you know maintaining that status or elevating your status with some right. of these elite guys who are probably going to make you know early July or you know mid July decisions. Um, you know for these guys that are kind of going through the summer official visit process now. So I think they did that. I think it was mission accomplished for a lot of these guys. I think they got the opportunity to sell the vision, especially with those big defensive linemen who are all in the room at the same time. And kind right. of just saying, like you know, this this could be the best defense. Like Colin Simmons said, like their vision was just like we want to build the best defensive line in the history of Miami football, and we want to build the best defensive line in college football. And then you look to your left and you look to your right, and you see, hey, if we all did this, then yeah, this is something that we could totally do because we're all kind of studs, you know, we're all stars, we're all the best, we're the best of the best in the country. So right. um, you know, I think it was, a, I think it was a success, you know, kind of selling selling that vision and I think really top to bottom. I mean, they potentially locked in a a, a top tight end target in Elijah Lofton, away from a big-time school like Texas. Um, You know, they they got Cameron Pruitt who had, you know, Arkansas. He had just camped at LSU. Uh, He has, you know, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, a couple schools like that who are all, you know, kind of fighting for him as well. So, um, again, he was a top linebacker target. So I I really think that this was a big, successful weekend. It was never about how many commits you come out on the other end with it's uh how many of these elite dudes did you cement yourself into that into real life? Like, you know, I can come in, I can come here. Like I want to come here type of that status. And I think they did that with a lot of those guys. So I'm feeling really good about the work that these guys put in this weekend.
2: All right. Good stuff, Gabby. And thank you for your work with being on top of it all. And uh, let's take a break. And then on the other side, we will catch up with 24-7 sports Josh Pate, who spent a handful of days down at UM. All right, we are back, this time joined with a special guest, Josh Pate of the 24-7 Sports Network, uh, national college football voice. Uh, I'm sure everyone here already knows Mr. Pate, but If you have not checked out his content, go go subscribe to The Late Kick with Josh Pate show on the YouTube channel. Go subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts at The Late Kick podcast. Uh, Go subscribe, go subscribe. Wanted to have him on this podcast quickly for 20 to 25 minutes because he basically spent uh, the majority of last week down in Miami, down at UM. Uh, if the listeners of this podcast have not checked it out yet, he had about a 50-minute or so interview, one-on-one interview with Mario Cristobal that was interesting, enlightening. Uh, that is up on the YouTube channel, so go check that out if you haven't already. I found it very interesting, and I'm sure the listeners of this podcast will as well. So, Josh, welcome back. Uh, how much fun did you have down in Miami while you were there?
1: Well, if we're going to do the one to 10 scale thing, say like a 13 and a half, maybe pushing yeah. 14. Yeah, it was, it was that fun. Got to go to a, a NBA finals game, got to go to prime One Twelve. So essentially
2: I took an official visit to Miami. That's really how yeah. I look at it in retrospect. So tell me about prime One Twelve. Uh, what did we go with? What would you rate number one, the experience number two, the food? you
1: so so for those who don't know i grew up in very rural georgia okay so to to me in my world chain restaurants like those were the steakhouses we would go to and that was if we went into town i knew nothing of this world of like top shelf steakhouses so i I go down there obviously and since then i've actually had a steak or two but man um oh what did we get I, i got that um is it Mishima? Which, whichever kind of cut I of meat don't it know. is. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. It is wonderful, okay. David. We got to go. So anyway, uh, especially when someone else is fitting the bill for you, man, you don't care that your bill <laughs> right. pushes three or four hundo. You don't care. And so um, really good stake. The NBA finals are in town. So, <clears throat> sorry, At the table next to us, you've got like the the NBA countdown crew. Like Will, Will Bond's over there. Uh, Stephen A. Smith is over there. A bunch of rappers I don't know are all around us. So it was great. Um, Wonderful, wonderful. I get why it's such a big deal. And the other thing is I don't ever care about the NBA. And so for me to pop up at an NBA finals game and just send pictures on blast to my friends back home, (laughs) it was the funniest thing because these people would give an appendage to be able to go to an NBA finals game and sit in the rafters. And there we are, lower level, just kind of hanging out, took a picture with the mascot and everything. That's before he got knocked out by Conor McGregor, by the
2: way. Yeah, that was that's some crazy viral video. I saw it yesterday as well. Did you did you see it live? Did you see that that thing go down live?
1: No, I was there for a joke at going off and rewriting the record books. The game before, I didn't get to see the mascot. (laughs) Oh,
2: okay, okay. Um, Tell me about the side game at Prime One Twelve. Did you go with? When I go to steakhouses, I'm not gonna lie. I line up all the potato options. Not healthy, but it tastes tastes great what What side game did you go with at prime 112? I always have to try it your sauteed mushrooms.
1: They were on point okay. also that hash brown uh, little feature they have. yeah uh, man, I could oh my goodness, I, I could just eat that. And also you're talking again to a guy who grew up in a world where red lobster was like the top end sure. um, seafood place and so you know they got the cheddar biscuits at red lobster. so you get the cheddar biscuits at prime. And I'm not kidding you, one of the people in our party who kind of grew up like me, but it's not me, I want to stress that. One of the people in our party got a to-go box for the Cheddar Biscuits, and he was quoted as saying to the waitress, these are like red lobster Cheddar Biscuits on crack. And the waitress, who's worked there 17 years, smiled, but I could clearly see her shaking her head in disbelief when she walked off.
2: (laughs) Well, I come from a similar smaller town type of situation, and yeah. I'm used to the Outback Steakhouse, the Longhorn Steakhouse type places, so I'm with you. But it is a treat to go to a place like Prime 112. I know for me, next time you're in Miami, whenever that is, I'll have to take you on a David Lake UM nostalgia tour of of eating establishments. Uh, The bill will be quite smaller at these places, but you got Flanagan's, which is kind of like a chain a uh, sports bar type of place throughout South Florida, but it's excellent stuff. You got rock and rib rolls, Mexican Monday, wing it Wednesday, excellent Philly cheesesteak, excellent ribs. Uh, you got La Carreta, which I did uh, pass that on to you. That's And you got to go to the one on Calle Ocho. That's Cuban food, authentic Cuban food, um, picadillo, imperial rice, vaca frita. There's the big cheese pizza joint in South Miami excellent pizza. Monty's is on the water in Coconut Grove. So lots of good places to eat. Next time you're in town, we'll have to hit up one of those spots. Well, maybe we'll play a ping pong match. Loser has to pay. Yeah,
1: that's totally fair. You know, the other thing in these kind of conversations, when we're supposed to be talking about college football is sometimes, <laughs> sometimes if you get off topic, you worry, Ooh, am I losing the listener? Except when you're talking about restaurants and food. Cause yes. I can guarantee you, you haven't lost anyone. It's very possible, even in podcast form, we have had a net gain on listeners exactly. just by talking about this. It's like one of those Ronco grill commercials
2: that used to come <laughs> on at 2 AM. No one turned those things off because the food all looks so good. It's good food. I'm always here for the food, but let's transition now to Miami hurricanes football. Uh, that's what the people want to hear about. And I want to start here, Josh, because, and look, you don't have to give away any state secrets or you can answer this however you want to answer it, but I think viewers of your show listeners of your podcast uh, can kind of tell can kind of read between the lines that you have a pretty good relationship with Mario Cristobal. And I know like, from my standpoint, I can tell you have a good relationship with Mario Cristobal because of the things you say on your show. Uh, You know, you're very informed on Miami hurricanes football, uh, which is rare at a national level. Uh, You know, not only is Miami not that great of a program, so I don't think many national voices care about Miami these days. Uh, But in general, you know, they kind of go back to the cliches of Miami of, you know, talking about is the U back? Uh, When are they going to have swagger? Oh, they have so much speed on the field when their speed has gotten to be kind of average here in recent years. But that's another tangent. I just want to go back to where where did your relationship with Mario Cristobal start? I know he was at Alabama. I believe you're you're a West Georgia guy. Did you run into him there? Did you just start a relationship over the DMs? I'm curious where your relationship with him started. Uh, that's a, it was a good question
1: because I, when you started asking it, I was trying to think back. I believe some of the first times that I would have interacted with him would have been at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that just kind of grew and he was at Oregon and got to know him pretty well there. And you know, the rest is history, so to speak. But what I love about Mario is you can be honest. You can be honest publicly about him and he's not really going to get upset about it. Now, he what he will do is he'll always give you feedback. And this is what I appreciate about any coach. I tell him all the time, man, if I say something stupid, if I say something factually incorrect or misguided even, or I leave out context, I want you to hit me up. I want to get corrected on it. Well, he'll do that. But at the same time, you know, if, if I go on air and I say, man, getting run out of the building by Middle Tennessee is un- it's unacceptable no matter how early right. in a rebuild you are, he's not going to hit me up and say, hey, bro, I can't have you saying that sort of thing. Because he said the same thing publicly. Right. So I, I appreciate that because he's always fair about that. He's not immune to criticism. Um he, And he also, look, he's dishing it out harder in that building than anyone ever will online or on air. And uh what was funny, again, not, you know, not to not to betray trust or anything. And I sure. don't think I am here, but what was funny is we sit down with him and we do about an hour long interview. We used about 50 some odd minutes of it. I can assure you we didn't leave anything on the cutting room floor that was juicy. And, uh, we got done and we're over there talking. I probably talked to him for another 45 minutes afterwards. Uh, cause we had a lot of that Cuban coffee left over, yeah. And so, we're talking and he is just, I mean, he's unfiltered total, no holds barred take on last year. I, if I could record that people would pay 1995 a month for it. But if, if I could take you back to, um, to a point where he was talking about, you know, the coordinator hires last year and he's talking about uh, what they inherited roster wise and, and what they have to do. I kind of stopped him and I said, where was this 30 minutes ago? Cause he gave us a lot in that interview, sure. but, but man, he he, he kind of you know turns it loose when he's not on air. And uh, he said, "Wait, wait, wait. Do you think we need to redo it? Do you think we need to?" And they're tearing down the set around us. And and he said, "Do do we want to? Do we want to go back and record again? Do you do you think I was not aggressive enough? Was I not forceful enough?" I said, "No, no, 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 no. You're okay. It's kind of a joke. But at the same time, yeah, if, if you do want to undo the top three buttons in the future and just let it rip, hey, I'm not going to okay. stop you. It may get you in trouble. I'm not going to stop you though. But it's such a it's such a reminder." that no one down there is under any illusion that last year was good enough. No one's down there under any illusion that um, things are okay. They're operating as if things are not okay. They're operating as if it is a panic. It is DEFCON, whatever that chart is. I never understood that. But there is such a sense of urgency in the building. And there, see, what's funny is I was up at Penn State about a month and a half ago. We did this with James Franklin. And you walk in that building – there's a sense of urgency in there too, but it's like, they're just trying to fine tune things. They're trying to tweak things here and there cause they're almost where they want to be at Miami. It doesn't feel like that at Miami. It's like, they're overhauling everything. And um, it's like walking through a construction zone in some cases, literally cause it's happening on campus. But in other cases in that building, I mean, um, dude, it's, I watched a lot of those true freshmen work out. Yeah. I've now I've not seen anyone like Francis Malgoa. I've not seen an athlete like him, and I know you guys were excited about him, but uh, if we could have recorded what I watched for about 25 or 30 minutes, I watched him do position drills, leading the pack, by the way, and then I watched him go run pass routes, and he's moving, what is he, 6'6", six, six, about two, t- 320, just fluidly moving like a wide receiver. And body control, like going over the middle, adjusting to catch a football, I didn't expect to see, you know, offensive tackles running pass routes. I'm talking about like deep 25, 30-yard skinny post kind of routes, but it was unbelievable to watch. I just don't know – I don't know that I've ever seen an athlete as big as him move as fluidly as he does. And then he went in one-handed balls off the jugs machine 41 in a row. So that was a nice re- – that was a nice capper on him.
2: He is definitely uh, a jumbo athlete. And you're right. He So he does weigh 320, 325 but he carries it like he, he looks like he's like 290. And that just speaks to like the bulk of muscle that is on his frame uh, with like, I don't know, 13% body fat, which is insanely low for an offensive lineman that uh, weighs 320 pounds. I think, you know, and he, he played defensive tackle as a younger high school player. I think he's the type of special athlete that if he wanted to go play D-tackle, he has the traits to be a first round pick at defensive tackle. Now I think he's made the right decision in terms of having a longer career and making more money playing offensive tackle, but he is definitely a special, special athlete. I wanted to ask you, Josh, you know, obviously now with the benefit of some hindsight for yourself, because I'm sure you, you followed Miami season last year to some extent. um, And also too, with the context you've picked up after last week, I'm curious, you know, now, how do you view Miami's 2022 season now that we're, I don't know, about six months, seven months removed from the end of that season? Because I do think it helps to take a step away because, uh, you know, when you're in the moment in a season, everything's a disaster and that season was a disaster. But now that you maybe have some context and some explanations, how do you view last last year's season for for the Miami Hurricanes?
0: This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at midwaysports.com.
2: Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at Torres Lionel1, the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises your source for all of your staffing and labor needs.
1: Uh, It was dead on arrival because they made the wrong hired offensive coordinator. And they knew it early on. It's one of the things, if if you guys haven't listened to the conversation we had with Mario, it was something that he was really open about. And I pushed him on it a little bit because I think people are so fascinated by the hiring process, the firing process as well in college football, especially at the assistant level because that's the head coach making the decision. It's not an AD deciding to hire a fire, a head coach. When a head coach realizes he's got to move on from that point, what's the process. And I asked him about it. And, and he went in as much detail as he could publicly about essentially saying, yeah, I knew early on Josh Gaddis wasn't the fit here. I knew I had made a mistake hiring him. I, I talked to Tyler Van Dyke about this last week and, respectfully but but honestly he was of the same mentality of he's kind of like oil and water man like we we never had synergy we never had what we needed to have and that would be bad David if it were year six but it's year one so you've already got all the other things you know whirling around in the blender and you've got a dead on arrival coordinator hire and so that's how I look back at it like there's there's no path given that circumstance that anything was going to succeed last year
2: I know I don't think you've aired it yet, but you did spend a lot of time with Shannon Dawson, correct? And there's going to be some sort of package coming soon?
1: Yeah, we'll have probably a feature, it may be, as long as the crystal ball talk. If not, it'll be well over 30 minutes of just sitting down. I wanted him to sit down, take me in the film room, and lay out his offense for me. And specifically, I wanted him to look at Tyler Van Dyke on film, and I wanted him to explain from his perspective what kind of quarterback he had. And he did a really, really thorough, really good job. He came in there equipped, had about 20 plays from the spring game, had another 20 or so plays from Houston, and he ran us through it. I told him to talk to me like a fifth grader so I can assure you everyone's going to understand what he's talking about. And there's there are some generalities in that conversation, but there's also subtlety and nuance and a little more – beneath the top layer of topsoil, so to speak, talk from an offensive coordinator's perspective. Um, and it, I think it, at the very least, if it doesn't excite you as a Miami fan, it will go a long way in informing you what the
2: difference will be between this guy and the last one you had. So again, go subscribe to the Late Kick YouTube channel when that airs, when that hits the channel. Uh, you guys can be all over it. I'm curious, Josh, um, if you were to pinpoint like one area, where Miami will definitely be improved year over year, Uh, or maybe the impression you get from your time last week where the coaching staff is excited about the year-over-year improvements, what would it be?
1: Uh, Running the ball very, very quickly, running the football. It's funny that Shannon Dawson is being brought in and everyone attributes air raid to him. Mm -hmm. Only thing he wanted to talk about was how they're going to be a whole lot better running the ball. I walked in there the first day, and uh, they were doing – team-led or player-led team drills in the indoor. And I was sitting there watching workouts and uh, talking to Tyler Van Dyke. And, I mean, he couldn't stop talking about the offensive line because he was just pointing out how many guys were out there that weren't there last year and how big a difference it's going to make for him. Shannon Dawson was the same way, uh, talking about in fact, I asked him the question you just asked me: What is the biggest glaring difference? What do you think you could do immediately? He said, "We're going to run the ball a whole lot better than we did last year, uh, and if we don't, it's going to be on me because we've got we've got better pieces. We've got we've got the ingredients that that we should need to be able to run the ball." So I would say that I would say there's been a prime emphasis placed on eliminating drops or limiting drops in the receiver room. Um, I mean, a big one. And so those are two areas that I would look at. I didn't I didn't spend as much time uh, with, like, Lance Guidry or anything like that. I didn't spend as much time defensively. So that one, I wouldn't have much more of an informed opinion than anyone else listening, and maybe less of one than
2: anyone else listening. But offensively, those are the two areas I would look at. I'm curious, too. I don't know. How much – had you ever been to UM's campus before last week? I had not. And so I'm always curious, you know, because I, I do think – you know, Miami's kind of a unique, a unique school, a unique situation. It's, it's a smaller private school in a big city, you know, it, it gets a bad rap for having terrible facilities, which no doubt they do need to be improved. I'm not here defending them, but, uh, I think those improvements are on the way, uh, you know, the campus I think is beautiful in its own right, um, being in South Florida, with the resort kind of feel. To me, Josh, it, it feels like kind of like a boutique type of nice hotel uh, when you compare it to these uh, situations that big state schools have. Miami has some disadvantages, but they also have some advantages, in my opinion. I'm curious, you know, you spending time at Miami for the first time, what impression did it make on you in terms of just like campus, building facilities, the environment it's surrounded by? Uh, what did you leave your week there uh, feeling about Miami that you learned about it? It changed my mind. So let me give you some
1: full disclosure. I used to be that person, having never visited there and having grew up grown up in the rural south, uh, I think those SEC campuses are the end all be all. And I still do think that yeah. about a lot of them. Um, but at the same time, I looked at Miami back in the day and I looked at them and, and thought about them as inferior. I thought about the facilities as being inferior. I still don't like their stadium situation at all, and that's that's a sure. present moment comment. But that is what it is. Uh, but so so all the things you just said in the pejorative context, I have thought those things. So then I go down there. I actually love the vibe there. Like yeah. I I think what you just said is very accurate from like a resort hotel standpoint. Here's the trade-off. So we I go to Alabama all the time. Um, up at Penn State a, a month or two ago. Those places, the facilities are more immaculate, but the trade-off is you are kind of in the middle of nowhere. And if that's your thing, that's your thing. And I I love that thing. But what I didn't know about myself, I guess until I I got in the situation, (laughs) is I love every bit as much being on a campus where maybe I get 75% of the facilities, but I also get added in the fact that I'm in a major like global city. I'm in Miami, Florida, and I can go. You cannot go to Prime 112 in State College, Pennsylvania. Let me put it that way. And nor can you in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You can go to Chuck's Fish. That's where you can go in Tuscaloosa. So I I um, I did. I never thought, David, that I would like that vibe, but I actually do. I really love the Miami vibe. And let me say something else about the facilities. Um, most people who comment on those things haven't actually been in all the facilities. I have. I've been in every one of them. And it's not nearly as egregious as people make it sound, okay? It's very much like a a first-world problem to have. Like, I've I've worked out in many of these weight rooms. Miami's weight room is not as big as Penn State or Georgia or Alabama. It's not a poverty weight room, but it's plenty good enough. It's plenty impressive enough to walk a high school kid through. And secondly, even if you do believe all that, they're about to break ground on some of the most impressive facilities in college football. So whatever you lack right now, you'll have in the future. The only thing you won't be able to go shot for shot with other universities with is the stadium. You will not be able to showcase a 105,000-seat stadium that's filled to the brim on Saturday. You won't be able to do that. Um, is that. Is that a roadblock or a stop sign? I think it's
2: more a roadblock than a stop sign. All very fair. We'll get out of here on this, Josh. Um, you know, Last year, obviously, Miami went 5-7. and seven, Unacceptable. Bad showing. What do you feel like are fair expectations coming off that five and seven? I don't even know if, I don't know if last year is even a fair starting point to try and assess this 2023 Miami Hurricanes team, just because they've had so much coaching turnover, so much roster turnover. This is in a lot of ways, a totally different team. But with that said, what do you feel like are fair expectations for Miami this year after last year's disaster of a season? Yeah,
1: so last year, I thought fair expectations were eight wins. Uh, mm-hmm. This year, I feel the same way. I, I I know you don't actually get to have a do-over in college football, but as far as my personal perspective, I kind of look at this year as year one. If you do actually finally have your right coordinators, you got the same quarterback. Uh, you've, you've upgraded your roster a little bit and you you had to tear some things down before you built it back. And that's still happening to a certain extent. So I would look at it. If they won eight games this year, I would be very happy and not, not tick or take parade happy, but I would be happy that it would validate some things. You know, it would, it would alleviate some of the concerns from the worst case scenario crowd. Worst case scenario crowd says maybe the bad hire we made was Mario Cristobal. You know, maybe he just does not have what we thought he had. Well, if you win eight games, that conversation quiets down a little bit. I would also imagine they're en route to putting together a really, really solid recruiting class, if not a better one, even than they had last cycle. And so that'll be baked in to that recipe and that formula. And, um, you know, the other thing is in the games against Florida State, I mean, are they being blanked and being run out of the building like they were last year? A&M comes into town. Can they sneak an out-of-conference win early in the season? Um, How do they look against like the Clemsons of the world, how do they look in games where they're outmatched? Are they competitive, or is there just a gulf between them and the guy on the other side of the field? So you give me competitiveness in the losses and put eight of them on the board, I'd be okay with that, especially if I'm seeing some of some of the hallmarks of a rapidly improving team in the process.
2: I think that's fair. A competitive eight and four I think allows Miami to still land a top 10 recruiting class, which is uh big picture wise the number one goal i think for this program is is oh david i would i mean i would i would i don't mean to interrupt because i know it's tough when we're on zoom but i would say there's there's this
1: weird world sometimes in recruiting where an eight and four season would actually do better for recruiting than an 11 and one season which sounds insane but what happens is when you get the eight and four you get the best of both worlds in recruiting. Now, the fans would love 11-1, obviously, but just think about recruiting for a second. Because what you get to do is you get to go into the living room and you get to say, hey, see, they were wrong. The people who were negative recruiting us were wrong. We, we have turned it around. But eight wins is not 11 wins. We need folks like you. We need players like you. So it's obvious we've got our, our stuff figured out. You're the kind of player that gets us to 11 or 12 wins. That that pitch appeals. That is like, yeah. a, a, that is like a drug to a recruit that has four and five stars next to his name because it, it eliminates a lot of the doubt in his mind, and it emphasizes a lot of the promise, the little glow that you want around your program. So, yes, eight wins would more than do it for recruiting.
2: This is a bit of a tangent, too, but one program I am monitoring – just from like a trajectory standpoint, because I feel like Miami's like a year behind them is Texas, right? Yes. So I, yes. Yes. So I Texas agree wholeheartedly. Went like five and seven in Sark's first year last year, they went eight and four, eight and five. If, if, you know, when looking at the bowl loss, but they've still been able to level up the recruiting. And so now to me with Texas, it's time to win 10 plus. And so we'll see if they can do that if they can. To, and Miami stays on the same trajectory as Texas. I think that's a positive sign for uh miami in this early stages of the mario Cristobal era so anyways enough tangents josh appreciate you hopping on your time is valuable uh, next time again next time you're in miami we'll find a, a ping pong table and uh we will then go somewhere fun for dinner so again follow josh pate's uh youtube channel late kick with josh pate go subscribe to his podcast as well. Uh, He's going to have Miami content coming up. Again, that Shannon Dawson interview, I'm looking forward to it as well. So appreciate everyone for listening. And until next time, take care.